Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, October 9th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Warren takes the frontrunner spot in one key metric. Yang makes the November debate. A few details about that November debate. Guess which candidate spent the most money on Facebook ads last week? Sanders has a heart health message for Americans. Weld writes an op-ed on foreign policy. And the Washington Post launches a congressional retirement tracker. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, Senator Elizabeth Warren is now just barely the frontrunner according to one key metric that political folks pay a lot of attention to, and that is the Real Clear Politics national polling average. As I record this, Warren has 26.6 of the national vote according to that average, and Biden has 26.4%. So, by a mere 0.2 percentage points, Warren is now officially the national frontrunner, at least according to Real Clear Politics. Okay, so quick refresher, Real Clear Politics, often abbreviated to RCP, is an average of polls. They take the results of trusted pollsters, they throw them into a spreadsheet, then they give you back the averages across a rolling two-week window of time. So, in the polls that cover the dates from September 23rd through October 7th, RCP has worn just slightly ahead in the national race. Now, at this point, I think it's most accurate to say that Biden and Warren are effectively tied, given that there's only this tiny, tiny percentage between them. This might change in either direction as more polls come out, and of course, as that polling window moves on to include more new polls and exclude older ones. But the reason this is such a big deal is that Biden has led that RCP average forever, or at least forever as it applies to this primary. So this is a historic change. Reading here from Ed Kilgore writing in New York Magazine, quote, The most quoted source of polling averages, Real Clear Politics, has had Biden at the top of its Democratic presidential list since it began compiling such averages in December 2018, five months before he formally entered the race. End quote. The other thing to remember here is that national polling isn't everything. State by state, the picture is different, and that state by state voting is actually what gets the nomination for a given candidate. Reading again from New York Magazine here, quote, Warren is also leading Biden in the RCP polling averages for Iowa, though Biden remains slightly ahead of the field in New Hampshire and Nevada, where Sanders is second, and more impressive in South Carolina, end quote. So, this ain't over by a long shot, but it is a notable moment for the Warren campaign. You can expect in the debate next week that she will take just as much heat, if not more, from the other candidates as Biden. I should also note that just because RCP has Warren at the top, my preferred polling average site, The Economist, still has her just 1% behind Biden. This is because all the different polling average sites get to choose which polls they include and how long the window of time is and how their math model works and all that stuff. So I'll let you know if Warren takes the lead in The Economist's average as well. That actually does seem likely given some tweets this morning from the folks who run it. Next up, Andrew Yang has qualified for the November DNC debate. His fourth qualifying poll came from a Quinnipiac national poll released yesterday, which had him in fifth place overall. With the addition of Yang, we now have eight candidates slated to appear in November. Nobody else got any help in that poll in terms of debate qualification, so on to the next story. (music) 
The DNC released a few tiny crumbs of detail about that November debate, finally, so let's talk through them now. The debate will take place on November 20th, somewhere in Georgia. It'll air on MSNBC, and there is a second media partner, The Washington Post. This tiny tidbit of information is useful because we can now calculate that the qualification deadline for that debate is on November 13th. That's one week prior, which is the timing the DNC had previously announced. So, just to be clear, that timeline means candidates have until November 13th to get their polling results and their donors. Right now, there are four candidates who will be on the debate stage next week for the October debate, but have not yet qualified for November. Those candidates are Castro, Gabbard, Klobuchar, and O'Rourke. Now, all of them have the necessary donors, but none of them have the necessary polling. Klobuchar and O'Rourke each have one qualifying poll, the others have zero. They need a total of four, or they need a stellar performance in just two early voting states. Okay, we got one more snippet of news out of the DNC on this debate, and that is the very first hint of how we'll be able to watch it. You may recall that NBC hosted the very first debate in this primary cycle, but the November debate is hosted by MSNBC, meaning a cable channel, not a broadcast network. So, reading from a Politico article by Zach Montalero, quote, NBC News hosted the first debate, which aired both on NBC's broadcast network and on MSNBC. But the November 20th debate is scheduled to be aired only on cable, on live streaming, and on Radio 1's network. End quote. So, more details as we get them, but of course, we've got a much more imminent debate to talk about first. And now, a story about Facebook ad spending. I'm sure it's your favorite. In the wake of all the troubles involving Facebook and the 2016 election and all that stuff, Facebook put up a public portal that allows anyone to go and see who is buying political ads. That service is called the Facebook Ad Library, and you can easily lose an afternoon putting in search terms there and voluntarily looking at Facebook ads. Lots and lots of Facebook ads. Anyway, I don't usually have to go and look at that because I see a summary every day in a Ballotpedia daily email, which, by the way, I highly recommend, and there's a link to that in the show notes. At the top of those emails, they give you a breakdown of which presidential campaigns are in the top five spending slots. And today's breakdown is totally bananas, so I figured I would let you know. At the top is President Donald Trump, who spent $1.4 million on Facebook ads between September 30th and October 6th. Now, there is a little asterisk on that number, which says it includes more than $340,000 that appeared on Vice President Mike Pence's Facebook page, but was paid for by the president. But let me say that one more time. $1.4 million in one week on one website. That is a heck of a lot of money. Next up was Tom Steyer, the billionaire Democrat, who spent $416,000. Then you've got Bernie Sanders at $193,000, Elizabeth Warren at $184,000, and Kamala Harris at nearly $137,000. In other words, add up the remaining top four and you don't even crack a million bucks. Now, the reason I mention all this is basically, if you are exposed in any way to any media, this is the net effect of all that fundraising news. You're going to see ads for all the candidates all over the place. And right now, the one candidate with the deepest pockets, by far, is President Donald Trump.
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Next up, Senator Bernie Sanders has a message for voters. Pay attention when you have cardiac symptoms. In an article for Politico, Caitlin Oprisco and Holly Otterbein quoted from a brief interview with Sanders where he was apparently mobbed by reporters while out on a walk with his wife Jane. That's gotta be fun. I'm going to play a short clip from the interview video that they posted, but before the clip I'm playing, there was a brief mention of one issue that the top three Democratic candidates, and also the oldest three Democratic candidates, have faced for a while now. They have all promised to release their medical records before voting begins, though none of them have actually done so yet. Sanders said yet again that yes, he will release those records when the time is right. All right, so let's listen to this clip from Sanders. Remember, this is just one week after his heart attack and insertion of a couple of stents. He is walking around with his wife, and he's sounding pretty good to me. Okay, listen in. Uh, I must confess that I was dumb. Uh, I was born, and thank God that I have a lot of energy. Uh, and, you know, during this campaign, I've been doing, in some cases, three or four rallies a day, running all over the state, Iowa, New Hampshire, wherever. And yet I, in the last month or two, uh, just was more fatigued than I usually have been. So, uh, and I should have listened to those symptoms. I should have listened to those symptoms. So if there's any message that I hope we can get out there is that I want people to pay attention to their symptoms. Uh, and, you know, when you're hurting, when you're fatigued, when you have a pain in your chest, listen to it. Yesterday, the magazine Foreign Affairs published a lengthy op-ed by former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, who is one of President Trump's primary challengers on the Republican side. The article is largely about foreign policy and is a detailed critique of the current administration's handling of foreign policy, among various other things. Let me read a snippet from the closing portion to give you a sense of how Weld writes and what he stands for. Quote, We need to recognize that offloading our fiscal responsibilities onto foreign creditors through trillion-dollar deficits erodes our sovereignty. Our leaders seem to think that because they can't get a grip on the budget, imbalance doesn't matter at all. It does, and we know it. As a governor, I balanced budgets with bipartisan support. There is no excuse for Washington's failure to live within its means. Every normal organization and person and family has to do so. Fiscal responsibility used to be the calling card of the Republican Party. Not today. Since World War II, Republicans have supported free trade. President Ronald Reagan wanted hemispheric free trade because he remembered the doleful impact of the protectionist Smoot-Hawley tariff of 1930. Every governor knows that international trade helps her or his state. 
It results in better paying jobs, lower prices for hardworking consumers, and increased prosperity. Trump mistakenly believes that every relationship and negotiation is a zero-sum game, and as a result he must constantly resort to threats and bullying and never behave reasonably. He does not have even a child's understanding of the world around us. Even his understanding of the morals of the marketplace is mafia-esque. Starting a trade war is not the way to make trade policy in a complex and interdependent world. Republicans have also been environmentalists since Lincoln founded the party. Conserving the environment is part of our DNA. In this, as in so many other respects, Trump is a rhino, Republican in name only. The United States and the world face real choices about climate. Halting climate degradation is not a task for one country alone. I would rejoin the Paris Agreement and work with China and others to avoid causing the Arctic ice cap to melt, which would be a world catastrophe. Science, not polemics, must guide us here. To govern is to choose, and that means choosing the right priorities, the right policies, and the right approaches. We live in a challenging and often dangerous world, and we need a grown-up in the office that Trump now occupies. I would be ready on day one. End quote. Now, I highly recommend this article. It's linked in the show notes, as are all the articles that I quote from on the show. This one calls to mind the rhetoric of the Republican Party that I grew up with. In other words, it hasn't always been this way. So to hear Weld bring the discussion back to this version of conservatism is truly refreshing. And last up today, the Washington Post has created a handy way to visualize who is retiring from Congress in the upcoming election cycle. It's the last link in the show notes. Right now, we have five Democrats who've announced they're retiring, meaning they're not seeking re-election in 2020. And we have 17 Republicans doing the same thing. The Post's tracker clusters these people on a spectrum that shows how competitive their districts are, meaning you've got folks like Republican Mac Thornberry of Texas, who I reported on last week. He is retiring, but is leaving a seat that has essentially zero chance of ever flipping blue. But you also have a group of Republicans and one Democrat who are leaving seats that are potentially in play. They're closer to that middle line between blue and red, meaning that those districts could flip given the right political circumstances. There's also a pair of graphs showing both Republican and Democratic congressional retirements as of now versus elections going all the way back to 2006. Now, while those graphs are a little less pretty, they come away with two clear impressions. First, in 2018, a lot of Republicans retired. And if the trend line that we see right now is a true indicator of what will happen going forward, that's going to happen again in 2020. So that means Republican hopes of retaking the House are pretty dim. Second, Democrats overall have less turnover, at least going back to 2006, which is all the data we have in these charts. And this year, again, so far, they have less turnover than 2018 or 2012, both of which were their top two years for retirements. And this might be a good time for Democrats to retire, given that the party controls the chamber and may be able to hold it. So what does this all mean? Well, Republicans in the House are clearly headed for the door, while Democrats are, at least so far, mostly sticking around. Now, we still have nearly 400 days until the actual election, so there is still plenty of room for these graphs to change. 
Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. So, you know how when your weather forecast says it's going to freeze, and then you do all the stuff to batten down the hatches and prepare for the freeze, and worry about whether your car will start or the outdoor cat is going to be okay, and then you wake up and it didn't freeze? Well, that's what keeps happening to me. But I guess it's better than the alternative, I guess? I had a fun moment this morning when I was making coffee, though. Yesterday, I had turned off the water to the outside tap that feeds a robot that waters the Arbor Vita. And that whole plumbing thing is, like, right outside the kitchen window, like a few feet from where I make the coffee. So I'm making my coffee, and there is this horrifying wheezing sound, like a clicking, weird, bad, like, oh no, what could that possibly be kind of noise. So I go out there, and the little robotic watering meter internet app thing device, which I thought I had gone into the app and totally disabled, was sitting there in the 36 degree weather, in the dark, trying to open its little flap and let water through, but there was no water to be had. So it just kept wheezing and flapping and making truly creepy noises and the app did nothing, so I took its batteries out. And I put it out of its misery until things warm up. So I am sorry, irrigation robot, your work is done for now. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.